If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Some days it just doesn't want to do what you want it to do. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to my interview activity center. Today's guest is Aaron Brewer, who is a feminine citizen in Utah, which is in the United States. In this discussion, we speak about her gender dysphoria and its roots in a severe childhood trauma. And then from there, we branch out into the ways in which gender dysphoria is being given one specific uh, solution within certain fields of psychiatry and the medical industry. We also talk about the trade-offs of tolerance and the ways in which female spaces do provide vulnerability situations for young women and women and how the discussion about trans rights and women's rights does need to be entered into with a calculus that looks at all the possibilities and really measures and weighs the different vulnerabilities that these groups are experiencing and could be open to experiencing. As ever, this interview is one part of a series on sexuality, gender, and transition, and it's not meant to lay claim to some sort of ultimate truth about the entire discussion. This entire discussion is much more rich and complex than our political climate necessarily can handle. So that being said, here's Aaron Brewer. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to try to do that thing where I ask the right questions. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> but but it's certainly, with with every one of these interviews, the interviewee usually chooses the direction, and I just try to feel where they want to go with it. Right, and you've done some really interesting and it's a lot of different perspectives, I think. But also a lot of it focusing on sort of the strangeness of how did we get here? How, hmm. <laughs> what the heck? I, I did a video yesterday where I was talking about female dicks and front holes, and I was like, I can't even believe that I'm saying these things. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did have one quip about the front hole thing, uh-huh. about if we're supposed to call our mistresses our side hole. <laughs> But I never got a straight answer. Yeah, I I think pretty much you could call them. Well, mm, we have to be very politically correct here because what if they don't have a run hall? I mean, you're making an assumption there about the mistress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe we should call them <laughs> mistreaks with the X instead right, of the S. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or we can just all be polyamorous and, and then and then it's not even an issue. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just one big, large dumpster fire and we don't have to worry about yeah. anything. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's strange because this wasn't even on my radar until about November, I think. Um, About the the naming conventions or this whole discussion? Any of it. I was very out of the loop. I, I tend not to be very hooked into popular culture or media or anything. And the only reason I found out about any of this is that I got an, uh, an actual snail mail from Equality Utah, um, which I've donated to in the past. It's a you know, LGBTQ community uh, or uh, advocacy group. And so I got this, 
this letter from them and it started talking about conversion therapy. And as soon as I read it, I was like, it was like it threw me back into my childhood. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know what they're talking about. They're talking about me. <laughs> and and just the the sense of they wanna they wanna make it so it's illegal for therapists to help children who have gender dysphoria like I had as a kid. And so it was something that sort of just really blew up and I, I went and found some old papers that I had that uh, had information about the school psychologist in first grade and, um, talking to my mom about my gender dysphoria and so it just sort of all bubbled up really quickly and uh, then I, I went to uh, a local uh, trans rally <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was wearing a sign that said stop trans eugenics because I was just shocked that that people were advocating the idea that we use uh, treatments that will cause sterility to children. Um, and so that's sort of how I, and I, I just, the more I started researching it, the more I was just mortified. Uh, hmm. And then I ended up going to Salt Lake City to testify about the legislation um, and sort of, and that was the first time I got hooked into other people and started realizing that there were there was this whole conversation going on about this and and all of us are sort of being tamped down by the media and by the transgender activists when we're trying to say wait a minute (laughs) we have some experience here that could inform this discussion Mm -hmm. and that's really important because uh, I actually watched something on Joe Rogan I can't remember what his uh, who his guest was but the guest kept saying transgender people say that they wish they had been transitioned medically as kids and and i'm like wait a minute those of us who had gender dysphoria who didn't transition are saying thank goodness we weren't transitioned Mm, mm, (laughs) so mm -hmm. so it really in some ways it's been really painful sort of revisiting that that past that i wish i didn't have in Mm. some ways but in other ways it's been amazing how people have reached out to me and been incredibly supportive and so many women have have sent me emails or twitter um tweets or something on facebook saying your story is my story and Hmm. so it's been this sense of wow there's this community of of girl women who were who had gender dysphoria as children as a result of sexual abuse who knew (laughs) so Hmm. Mm -hmm. um and especially the rapid onset gender dysphoria. A lot of the the young women who either transitioned or didn't transition, but sort of resolved it, are coming out and and saying, "Wait a minute, this was because we we felt sexualized and and we were trying to avoid uh, that experience because we don't we don't have the skills to handle it, so we decided to mm. identify as males instead." So, so it's kind of been an amazingly interesting adventure. Um, and, and, and the more I get into the trans advocacy side, the more disturbed I am about the idea that, that women, women and girls' rights are really being under, undermined. And uh, there's just a recent judge who said that girls don't have any expectation to not be seen naked in changing rooms. And just, Wait, could you explain that? What, what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, it was a ruling. Basically, there were some um, there were some girls who were um, being represented in a, in litigation because a trans female student, a biological male, was being allowed in their in their locker room, and they were concerned about it. And so there was a lawsuit they had filed and the judge said that nowhere in the constitution are girls guaranteed a right not to be viewed naked by the opposite sex. Hmm. So 
it's it's shocking to me that we have no protections as women and girls not to be seen where hmm. whereas if we tried to be seen we would get in trouble <laughs> so if we yeah. went out in public and tried to be seen we'd get in trouble and especially with girls if if a girl took a picture of herself naked and shared it with an adult that's considered child pornography so there are all these kind of complicated issues where it seems like we're hypersensitive to the to the feelings and needs of a very small population and allowing that to completely undercut the feelings and needs of of women and children hmm. and in the name of political correctness often and and i really believe a lot of it is coming not necessarily from uh the the idea that they're trying to uh, suppress women and children's rights but just this sort of like tolerance <laughs> this mm -hmm. idea that we're tolerant as a people and 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 that we don't want to do anything to hurt somebody's feelings and and the lgbtq community well especially the trans activists have done an amazing job of of uh talking about how difficult it is to be trans and they've got all these statistics about um how incredibly uh, fragile transgender population is so we have to be so careful mm -hmm. with them and yet and yet the statistics are primarily self-reported they're not really um what i would consider great great hmm. statistics they haven't been gathered in ways that um that suggest that they're valid i guess hmm. so and then we also have the narrative that that trans children will kill themselves if they're not allowed to transition and I don't even know where that came from. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's it's so ingrained. People really believe that um, that 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 if we don't do this, and and what a thing to tell a, ch a child's parents that that if you don't do what we say you have to do, your child's going to kill themselves. Well, what a thing to <laughs> tell a child that if you don't go through with this, you're going to want to kill yourself. Right, right. And it's one of the things that's that's so informing i think is that even the most hardcore gender transgender activists people who are actually suggesting that children be medicalized as early as eight years old get on cross-gender hormones even they admit that gender dysphoria isn't resolved by medically transitioning hmm. so we're doing all these things that hmm. have the potential to really damage a child's body and it turns out it doesn't even cure gender dysphoria. Yeah. It might mitigate it for a while. We don't know. But we do know that this child's body is going to be permanently damaged. So mm -hmm. there's a there's so many different word games or rhetorical tricks that are being played, like what you were saying about young women. They're yeah. punished for being immodest, but their modesty is no longer protected. Yeah. Right? Right. So, so there's all these trade-offs with tolerance mm -hmm. that 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 are sequestered. We can't even have the conversation about the different trade-offs and, and balancing right. things, right. because it's so. If you don't go along with this, there's a big disaster. Furthermore, with conversion therapy, um, the the alternative to conversion therapy is actual conversion of the body. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that word is like only applied for this, uh, you know, the specter of the gay conversion therapy. Not to mention okay. that they're finding out that a lot of children who have gender dysphoria grow up to be gay. And yeah. so if you affirm a child's gender dysphoria, you're basically converting someone to being transgender. <laughs> 
Hmm. So, the, yeah, like you said, the language and the ma- manipulation of language. And especially, I don't know what it's like in other states, but in Utah, when the advocates were trying to get the conversion therapy legislation passed, they would talk about conversion therapy like electrocuting gay people to make them straight or, uh, you know, really physically, quite, physically dangerous yeah. and, and kind of horrific things that were done to gay people to, to make them straight. And yet that's not, not, first of all, no, nobody who works, no licensed therapist is, is doing that. Their license would be revoked immediately by the American Psychiatric Association. Yeah. But also they, they talk about it this way, but then in the legislation, it basically says that a therapist can't work to change feelings, beliefs, or behaviors, which is pretty much um, if I don't know if you're familiar with cognitive behavior therapy, but it's proven to be very effective in people who have gender dysphoria and other kinds of dysphoria, anorexia, OCD. Um, mm-hmm. But the idea mm-hmm. is that you, the therapist will help a person change the way they think about it. So, if, mm-hmm. for example, as a child, I had gender dysphoria. So rather than the, the therapist saying, so you're a boy, which is what they would do, have to do now, the therapist would say, you know, what is it that makes you think you're a boy? And let's work on that kind of the root cause of what is it that makes you think that? And they can't do that if, if, if hmm. when this legislation is passed. And I think it's, it's passed in a lot of states now. So not only can you not change the individual, you can't even question them right, or explore? Right. No, because it's feelings, behaviors, or beliefs. So, you, so a therapist can't work to change any of that, which is kind of fundamentally what therapy is about yeah yeah (laughs) yeah in order to get to the cause of distress Mm -hmm. and And so they're 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 legislating there's only one cause and therefore Mm -hmm. only one solution to this particular distress and you can't even see if that's the distress that's actually going on you can't even like really like get a bigger picture or help the individual get a bigger picture of what gender dysphoria is so they could they could you know conceivably just get this idea stuck in their head when mm-hmm. it's actually just an expression of something else going on. Exactly. And that, that is commonly, I mean, that's happening a lot where um, I'm hearing stories where, uh, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of Ken, Ken Zucker and some of his mm-hmm. research where kids just get mistaken beliefs about gender all the time. Um, a lot of it is because we live in a society where, where for some reason we're talking about gender a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're telling boys how they have to behave we're telling girls how they have to behave we're talking about gender a lot and if if a child comes from a family where they have very strict gender roles and they deviate from them um it's easy for a child to believe that they were that they're uh the wrong gender that are born in the wrong body (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and there i think it was ken zecker talked about a case where um a family had a new baby and the baby was a very high need baby and the child decided that they wanted to be the gender of the new baby because the new baby was getting all the attention. So because children have very magical ways of thinking and <laughs> make some very interesting assumptions about life, um, it's not surprising that, and, and that's the thing though, is parents are supposed to sort of be supportive, but also kind of confirm reality for kids. <laughs> so so when kids say something that's completely outlandish, it's really the grown-ups that are supposed to sort of explain reality to them. 
And and now instead of doing that, we're having parents who are saying, "Oh, you think you're a boy? You you are a boy. <laughs> Even though you have girl parts, and and are mm-hmm. we're we're you know." born a girl so and even though they haven't initiated the process of like growing into being a girl mm-hmm. or becoming a woman they just yeah. assume that they're automatically go over to this other route and i guess the question <laughs> the question's never asked like well once you switch over to being a boy then how do you become a man and like what processes do you go through to become a mature individual and right. supersede the gender and and occupy that gender but like become a person beyond that gender so right. there's there's all these questions about the the depth of human complexity and experience that are getting shoved off the table because this is this this mindset is so strong and so small. And you make such a good point there because we're hyper focusing on gender. I mean it's very strange to me that we're that we're spending so much time talking about gender because what you said is so true that that the goal of, is to raise children to be functional, happy adults, and not to, not to focus on themselves so much. Hmm. It's one of the things that gender dysphoria does is it sort of, people become hyper-focused on themselves. It's much like anorexia, where, where you're just kind of perseverating about yourself. And it's really hard for someone who perseverates about themselves to grow up and be a functional, happy adult. And reinforcing that idea that, that, that a child should be hyper focused on themselves like that is not particularly healthy. So hmm. so I do think that in so many ways and and I I there are going to be people who who want to transition and I've never had much thought on that. I I actually had a friend who was uh, transitioning from being a female to a male a number of years ago and it never really even was I don't think it really even came up that much. Um, it was just sort of what this person was doing, much like you know somebody who decided to become a vegetarian or become politically active, you know, or or change careers even. So so it's hmm. strange to me that we're and that and that we're talking to children about genitalia. And <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems really strange to me. Like I keep yeah. thinking. What? Why are we doing this? And and one of the things about the dear colleagues letter uh, that was sent out by the Obama administration that kind of started the ball rolling in allowing um, this kind of uh, people who uh, people who identify as the opposite gender to gain access to to the spaces of the opposite gender, the opposite sex. Uh, so they sent out this dear colleague letter. Sorry, my dog just came in and <laughs> I'm like totally distracted. <laughs> That's fine. But the dear colleague letter, from what I understand, it required schools and basically any institution that got federal funding to allow a person who affirmed as the opposite sex to to be treated as that, as such. But at the same time, would not allow schools to communicate with uh, their peers to let them know that the parents? Tired, yeah, parents and, and children okay. so that so that the parents could not prepare their child for this. They wouldn't know it. So so in theory, you know, a girl could be heading off to a gymnastics meet with her with the, the rest of her team and find out that one of them actually is a biological boy 
and she, nobody would nobody knew <laughs> mm-hmm. nobody could tell the parents so so it's like the, the the right to privacy for for the trans child is is super high but then the right the right to privacy huh. for that so yeah it's very interesting and and even calling it a trans child bothers me because i don't think that a that a person should be declared transgender until they're an adult because I really believe that the majority of gender dysphoria is caused from underlying things. Um, and so, hmm. so if you automatically call a child a trans child, then you're sort of pushing them towards transitioning. Whereas you call them a child with gender dysphoria, then you recognize that they have these issues that need to be recognized, but that we can treat them in other ways besides transitioning the child. So your experience of gender dysphoria, I guess, basically informs mm-hmm. your position in this conversation, but also probably informs a lot about your understanding about life and, mm-hmm. and how you move through the world and maybe even how society uh, treats the sexes. Um, would you mind talking about your gender dysphoria and how, the ways in which you dealt with it or came to terms with it and how long that took? Yeah, and it's... It, it it is personal, so it's kind of been yeah. interesting because I started to talk about it, and, and when I first started talking about it, I get very emotional and upset, and now I'm to the point where I'm sort of like, it's like ordering a hamburger or something, like, okay, so this <laughs> happened, blah, 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 um, but but every time well, I talk about it, I get more insight, so, so I, it was between uh, kindergarten and first grade, and my brother and I were abducted by two men and taken into a restroom. And um, I was kicking and screaming and biting. And the men said that they would cut my brother's penis off if I didn't calm down. And I did. Um, so I just stopped. And, and it was almost like from that, you know, as, as soon as those men left, I was, I was a boy. I was not going to let that happen again. Um, and so during that summer, I started having behavior issues. And then first grade, uh, I really, the teachers were concerned because I dressed differently. I was very aggressive, both verbally and physically. I was trying to play with the boys. I didn't want anything to do with being female. And so the teacher called in the school psychologist and Basically, what the school psychologist said, she didn't say, oh, it turns out Aaron's a boy. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, And that's what might happen today to a child in a similar situation. Instead, she suggested that um, the teachers and my parents try to help me find positive women role models and identify, kind of continue to talk about things that are good about being a woman and a girl. it wasn't particularly effective because I think probably my mom was a kind of a hardcore liberal and a lot of what she said confirmed my idea that being a girl was going to make me vulnerable and weak and that being male was going to be uh, a safer and stronger position. And so as she was trying, I think to be, a feminist. What I what I took from that is, um, men are going to hurt me. Men are stronger. Men are more powerful. I'm just going to be a man. <laughs> so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I I practiced to pee standing up, and it was it was so different. I'm sure now because that back then because now I 
I'm guessing somebody would have put a label on it. Whereas back then the teachers just were concerned and would, you know, try to help me. And I did end up starting to see therapists when I was about fifth, fourth or fifth grade. And I think which what resolved my gender dysphoria was was sort of an acceptance that I was a, a girl. I sort of had this sort of it was almost a I'll tell, I'll just tell you. <laughs> I'm telling you everything else. I'll just tell you <laughs> what happened. <laughs> so I was in sixth grade and there were two boys that said that they had a club and they wanted me to be a part of the club. And I was super excited because I didn't tend to have friends and I tended to be pretty ostracized because I acted so differently from all the other kids. Hmm. And so I was super excited. And they said they were having a club meeting and I went over to their house and we had sex. And I still don't, I have talked about this a couple of times and some people say they raped you and some people say, no, they didn't. And I don't know. I, how, how, what uh, age about? It was in sixth grade. So yeah, pretty young. Um, but (laughs) I suddenly figured out that, oh, if I have sex with men, then I can be accepted. And so it was like the gender dysphoria kind of flipped and I suddenly was like, okay, this confirms my idea that being a woman means being sexual, being, you know, even being sexually exploited possibly, Hmm. but at least I'm getting this attention that I want and acceptance that I want. And so Hmm. I can really understand how a girl could develop rapid onset gender dysphoria if she were in a position where she was feeling sexualized and didn't want to be. Because it's it's sort of the same process that I have only in reverse, and and it, I think that that's one of the sadnesses that I have about my life is that it took me so long to realize that being a woman didn't inherently mean sexual or sexualized or sexually abused that mm-hmm. I could say no and set boundaries, mm-hmm. and I think that's why this whole thing is 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 just infuriating me so much because it took me almost a lifetime to realize I could set boundaries. And now biological men who say they're women are saying, no, you don't get to set those boundaries. If I want to come into your space where you're vulnerable, I get to come in there. Hmm. And, and so I feel like, wait a minute, I've worked my whole life to, to set boundaries. And now you're telling me I can't have my boundaries anymore. Hmm. And, you're also telling girls that. And, and so I, I sort of have this sense of needing to stand up for, for girls so that they, they, you know, the, the Me Too movement came out. We found out that there's a lot of sexual assault and abuse that happens. And we tell girls that they need to set boundaries. But then we say, well, hmm. <laughs> we're not going to respect them. So these, and I, the biggest concern that I have isn't so much that a a trans person can come into a space where I am, but that the legislation that's being proposed, the Equality Act that's currently being proposed, I think it was passed by the House, now it's in the Senate. If that's passed, anybody can simply say, I identify as a man. They don't have to change anything about themselves. They don't have to, like, I mean, you. <laughs> or at the same time, I could go into a men's room. Hmm. But the fact that there isn't the concern about 
men don't feel particularly threatened if a woman comes into a, a men's room. They might be annoyed or embarrassed, but they're not, you know, if I walked into the men's locker room, they're not going to feel threatened. Whereas if a man walked into the locker room where I'm changing, I would, I, it would be really, I would uh, pretty sure have a panic attack. Hmm. Uh, it would mm-hmm. be incredibly, uh, I don't want to say triggering because that's all the rage, but I've worked hard to kind of resolve yeah. the sexual abuse that I had. And part of that is understanding that I have places where I'm safe. And I know that not all, not all biological men are going to assault me, but if I'm in a place where I feel like I'm vulnerable and then all of a sudden a biological male is there, I'm going to feel really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably not going to go to those places anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, if, if I started to feel like there were going to be biological males in my locker room, I would either find a different gym to go to or not go anymore because mm-hmm. I know that I don't have panic. I don't have sort of PTSD symptoms the way I used to. I used to really have profound problems with it and I've kind of gotten it under control, but I have a feeling that it could kind of throw me into this very bad place. And so I understand that people who identify as trans also have these issues, but the difference is on some level, they get to choose. I don't get to choose. I, I can't pass as a man if I want to me going into a men's room isn't going to help me feel safer. Whereas a trans man, even though they say, oh my gosh, it's really hard for me not to present as a female, they can choose not to present as a female. Hmm. On some level, it is a choice. In the same way that you know, an anorexic can sort of decide they're going to eat, even though they have these anorexic feelings, or someone who's a smoker can decide to stop smoking. It's really, really hard, and they might need support, but on some very fundamental level, it is a choice. And you can have gender dysphoria and not transition. And so, as a society, we've sort of said, well, we're gonna gonna go ahead and allow that, Um, but we also have to understand that it's not it's not required. And somebody who chooses Hmm. to say, well, I'm going to kill myself if I'm not allowed to transition, that is also a choice. They're, they're making that on some very basic level. They're saying, let's, let's, let's go down that argument. Isn't it not a choice for you to not feel panicked when a man is in your space? Isn't that a choice choice for me to try to perceive it differently? Definitely. Um, And I could do that. I could, I could do that. Children can't. Children are vulnerable. And one of the issues is, is that if, if a man starts to cross the line with me in a locker room and I report it, they can deny it and call me a transphobe. So it's, it gets... Yeah, you're describing an imbalance of power. Yeah, it's an imbalance of power. And I can choose to be okay with that. I could choose even to say, well, if they want to grope me, that's okay. I mean, I can make that choice. Um, And it is a, like you said, it is a choice. Your body, their choice. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But for children, it isn't. And and when children start to be sexualized, especially when girls start to be sexualized when they're young and told that they don't have choices about who gets to see them, um, 
it sets them up, I think, to be more vulnerable when they get older and to have a harder time setting boundaries and to be more um, sexually vulnerable, I think. Hmm. And and it is. It's, I think on some level, it's, it's, it's in a... I believe that there are some people who would say it's okay for children to be sexualized, that I am being judgmental and that there's nothing wrong with a child being sexualized. And I know that there are, there are people who believe that. Um, Hmm. And again, I think it's, I think it's the balance of power that, that there is something fundamentally different about a male's sexual power over a female. Um, even if that male is presenting as a female. Well, your case and there you're not you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You've been subjected to uh, being overridden by the desire of men, right? Mm-hmm. Men have men have overridden your agency right. and, and exactly. you've been stripped of that and and yeah. being stripped of that derailed mm-hmm. you and your development or put mm-hmm. you on a completely other path of development than you otherwise would have gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you're a living embodiment of the consequences of male desire that is not uh, that that has overridden the protections, uh, and then and then gone and, and violated your agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I fully understand like where you're coming from, and 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 furthermore that that it's so difficult for voices like yours to speak at this moment is. A strange irony after the yeah. Me Too movement has come and gone and after what, 50, 100 years of women's women working on getting their issues uh, taken seriously um, in the public imagination or in the, in the public consciousness. And now all of a sudden, almost over the course of three or four years, it's very quickly being eroded and that we can't even speak about that. Um, or I guess we can speak about that and we'll just have to you know, uh, brave the slings and arrows of bigotry and phobia that will be, that will come our way. Um, but Oh, go ahead. No, I just wondered, like, do you, over the last few months with you being involved in this discussion, have you seen change yet? Or have you just, uh, kind of started to get more, uh, connection with other people who are seeing what you're seeing? I, Hmm. Well, that is a really good question. I think people are surprised. And part of it is information that when I have discussions with people, they say, you just need to let people live their own lives. They're not really doing any of this to children. And so there's sort of this, because it isn't being talked about publicly, people do not believe me when I say eight-year-olds are getting cross-gender hormones, and they don't believe me when I say 13-year-olds are getting mastectomies, and 16-year-olds are getting, or, or ectomies, I'm not sure how you say it, their testicles cut off. They don't believe me. They think that I am just a transphobe and I'm making this up. They don't believe me. Um, and so part of it is I think getting information out there that this really is happening. This is the trajectory that it's going. That gender, uh, transgender activists want younger and younger children to be able to receive cross-gender hormones and not even see a therapist. So the idea is, and I've heard, um, I think Mm -hmm. her name is Dr. Uh, Johanna Kennedy Olson, I think. She runs the Gender Lab in Los Angeles 
for children. And she has a National Institute of Health grant that is funding research where children as young as eight years old are getting cross-gender hormones. And she says that what she wants to do is normalize the idea that there are transgender children and then that's a normal path of development. <laughs> and that, that would be fine if they weren't doing things that cause their body to become less functional. Like hmm. to say that it's a normal path of development that for someone to have gender dysphoria, well, okay, maybe so, because right now we do have some very confusing and conflicting ideas about gender. We have a lot of people who are suggesting that we break out of stereotypical gender roles. So, but as soon as you start giving a child hormones that is gonna hurt their bodies for the rest of their lives, that's gonna cause their functional body to be less functional. Yeah. As soon as you start causing, you know, doing mastectomies on 13-year-old children, I think that that argument just falls apart because that's not normal. There's there's no other case where I could think of that that we advocate someone to harm their body because mm -hmm. of something that they believe about. Well, themselves. furthermore, the stereotype argument is crazy because if you're trying to break stereotypes <laughs> by forcing people to embrace stereotypes, like you're not breaking stereotypes, you're yeah. actually reinforcing them in a very right. twisted manner. Yeah, and that's that. That's the other thing that makes me really frustrated is that I I have uh, three children, and throughout huh. the development, there were times when they were gender nonconforming, and part of that was because I was a mother that didn't freak out about that. So when hmm. my daughter said she really thought that I think they were called underroos that her friend her, her she had a a friend who was male and he had underroos and they had superheroes on them and she really wanted to try them. I'm like, sure, you could try them. Whereas if, you know, if I said, oh my gosh, you must be a boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, um, and so, so she wore her underroos and it was fine. And, and uh, one of my sons used to like to dress up when my daughter would play princess, he would play princess. And, and these are, I think are, are, we've kind of, the, I think that we've kind of encouraged the idea that we want boys to be more sensitive. We want them to cry. We want them to embrace, you know, maybe homemaking and parenting and cooking and grocery shopping and all these things that are mm. more traditionally female. Mm. But now when they do, we're saying, oh, <laughs> you're born in the wrong body. And so yeah. it totally reinforces uh, sex roles and stereotypes. Mm -hmm. What kind of... Um pushback have you gotten and and within the pushback have you learned things have you uh kind of granulated or refined your position that's interesting the the most pushback i've gotten is from the local trans activists they have uh, i've been told that they are violently angry with me i've gotten some threats um so that has been in some ways shocking i didn't expect that um some of the people who are in involved in this movement are children who grew up with my children and so it's been very painful for me to see them going on this trajectory that seems so hate-filled and uh being unwilling to even talk about this idea that i've just been labeled a transphobe and a bigot and the that's it. So that's been really sad for me. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also been the pushback on Facebook and Twitter, which you may or may not be familiar with, but being banned. Uh, I've been I've been put on these like timeouts with Facebook for saying things like, 
uh, a biological male is not a woman. You know, something very, which I think is a factual statement and getting banned for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that kind of pushback has been really interesting. Um, if they can categorize, <laughs> categorically refuse those categories, then they win, right? Yeah. Well, and, and it's so confusing to me how we got to this point so quickly where this very tiny group of people has so much control over what other people do and say. But it's, it's really forced me to think a lot because I've always considered myself to be a liberal. I've always wanted to be a tolerant person, to be loving, to be kind. And so this has kind of thrown me for a loop in that I'm being cast as a turf, I'm not sure if you've heard that term, trans-exclusionary radical feminist and a Nazi, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that, I mean, I'm a bleeding heart liberal, and now all of a sudden people are saying I'm a Nazi and deserve to die. Um, And so that's really caused me to think kind of what's going on with politics, I guess, what's going on with our society, what what what's happening um even the radical feminist being cast as a radical feminist is interesting because during the kavanaugh hearing i was cast as a misogynist (laughs) so i lost a lot of friends on facebook because i was saying wait a minute we can't presume somebody's guilty without evidence and that alone was enough for me to be called a misogynist because i just didn't automatically assume that kavanaugh was guilty and so it sort of feels like the same thing that there's like this, there's, it's like this, uh, almost like this Bible, like I, somewhere, somebody along the way came along and wrote down these rules. And if you don't, if you don't follow those rules, you get ostracized and you're kicked out of the, the, the democratic party, the liberals, the left, whatever it is, you sort of just get, get kicked out. <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of other people who are sort of where I am, where I'm like, where, where do we fall now? Where? What do we, where do we affiliate? Um, Hmm. And it it sort of seems like, I mean, I don't know who's, who's writing the rules, I guess. So that's where, where I'm like, what is going on? Where are these rules coming from? When did it become bad to say, we can't presume somebody's guilty without any proof? Like, and, and I've been called a victim shamer. um, And one of the things that happened, sort of has happened during this time is that that I've really examined sort of women and men and and I feel like men are just as confused as women are as far as what's you know what's going on that um, and a lot of it I think is that women aren't women aren't empowered I guess to set clear boundaries and men aren't understanding that women don't have these clear boundaries and so we're having this hmm. a lot of these interesting intersections of, of mm-hmm. gender and sexuality. And um, at the same time, we're having some groups that are really promoting this sexual permissive uh, promiscuity, I guess, this acceptance that, you know, nah. <laughs> sort yeah. of, and my parents grew up in a, a open marriage, or my, not my parents, I grew up in an, my parents had an open marriage. And so, so some of it is sort of like, what, we're going back to this, like it didn't hmm. work. It didn't work. It wasn't good. It just like there, there, and even even what happened to Evergreen, it feels like there's this like reactionariness that it kind of reminds me of when I was in college. Um, 
Reagan was in office. And at one point, uh, a bunch of women put together this symposium and brought in some doctors and nurses who taught us how to perform self-abortions. Um, <laughs> and so there's this whole, like, big room of women with speculums and hand mirrors, and we're learning how to perform an abortion if we needed one or to help a friend. And I think back on that, and I'm like, I, I wonder why nobody taught us to say no or to, to set firmer boundaries or to figure out how not to get pregnant. Like the response was, we're going to learn how to do self-abortions. That's the appropriate response to um, the potential that we wouldn't have access to abortions. And I, this is probably going to get me in trouble with all kinds of people, but <laughs> you know, uh, when I think about girls who are growing up and they're never taught how to set these boundaries that are so hmm. important, because if we can't set, and, and there's always going to be unprotected sex and mistakes, and so I'm, I'm very much, you know, believe that we need to have birth control available, but but rather than um, having this extreme reaction of we're going to learn how to give ourselves abortions. Yeah. I came to game. Wouldn't it have been neat if we had got, kind of gotten together and figured out how to how to really figure out this sex thing and these you know mm. how to how to not get pregnant and how to yeah. how to how to how to negotiate yeah. so that so that after sex you're not like oh shit like yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of coming back again with with the more stricter abortion regulations again it's this idea of it's all about reproductive freedom that that if we don't have our reproductive freedom then then we don't have anything and i'm like yes okay but a lot there's of something that before that freedom we need to have these conversations if you can't talk to your if you're going to have sex with someone and you can't talk to them about st uh, sexually transmitted diseases and pregnancy then maybe it's a better thing not to have sex and maybe if if you're going to go to somebody's you know room with them maybe it would be better to talk before you go to the room about boundaries and mm -hmm. but but then you know so we go back to this now we're telling girls that they can't set boundaries so it's sort of like ah. yeah um, yeah but but it seems like we we used to have clear clear social norms about sort of sexuality and interactions and those kind of got tossed out the window and now we've got people who are enforcing their ideas of of what it means to i mean be normal yeah be normal and 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 part of that is the idea that it's it's normal for a boy to think that they're in the wrong body and for a girl to be think that they're born in the wrong body and to me that that narrative that you can be born in the wrong body is just outlay i, I can't <laughs> Yeah. What does that even mean? You're born in the body you're born in. Like everybody's born with something they don't like yeah. about themselves. Um, and so if we're going to humor the idea that, that we get to focus so much on, on our bodies and what our bodies need and what we need, and, and we're going to make society accommodate us because we are a special category. <sighs> the, I don't know where that like is going. The, the, the argument this is a metaphor. This is a total metaphor. It's kind of out there. I don't know if I can bring it back home, but we're at a place now that the black sheep gets to write the rules for the rest mm -hmm. of the flock. And then somebody figured out that you can't ever complain about the black sheep. So the wolves came in and started wearing black fur instead of white fur. 
because now you can't question them at all because they're wearing this special color. Oh, right. They're definitely, you know, we have to protect them because we have to protect them. You you can't even question. Their needs are far more important than ours because they're likely to die if we don't take care of them. And that's that's what Yeah, Wolf will die if he doesn't eat a sheep. So So we have to. and And it's interesting to me because this morning I was having coffee with my son and he said, oh, my God. And that's something, I live in Utah where there are, um, I can't even remember what they call themselves now. Blasphemy laws or something? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They're very, very sensitive to, oh my God. That's a term that just, that it really bothers them. And so I don't, I've tried not to say it. I teach my kids not to say it out of respect. Um, I'm not going to say you can't say that. And this, you know, the Mormons don't say you can't say that, but it's sort of a negotiated respect. Hmm. And I think about the the people who are in the trans community here are the ones who are intentionally going out of their way to offend people like the Mormons. By and to be offended, too. They go out of their way to be offended. Yeah. And so it's this weird narrative that, that they get to tell us how to treat them. And yet they have no respect for how we want to be treated. And again, this is very generalized. I don't want I don't want anybody to think that I think this is true of all well, trans. Yeah, and and I, I need to apologize yeah. to making the metaphor about the sheep and the wolf and stuff. I'm not saying that everybody's a wolf. I'm not saying that everybody is a predator. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what you're saying either. No, no. But there are certain there are certain structures that we used to have mm-hmm. that are being eroded that would just take certain sorts of predatorial behavior off the table right. in certain situations right. and and un, being unable to to say no predators can get through this gate being unable to say that is going to say is going to bring the predators through that gate or right. increase the likelihood of predatory behavior um, right. and and furthermore like you were saying maybe i should phrase this as a question in your speaking out have you been able to get in contact like i have with trans people who are reasonable and who are respectful and mm, no, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I really haven't had that kind of interaction. Hmm. Uh, and part of it, I think, is because the local community is very radicalized. Um, hmm. they, they, the, the leaders of the, they're very, it, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and so I really haven't, hmm. um, but I do know they exist because I've been friends with them. I mean, I went to a very liberal college, so, and I've, I've, you know, historically had friends. I have had a few people in the LGBTQ community say, um, "We're not. We're still. We still like you. You're. You know, we don't consider you to be one of the bad guys." And so I've had a few people reach out to me, and you know, um, gays and lesbians who, you know, I've. I've been part of the advocacy group. Uh, I've been for gays and lesbians throughout my life, and so I've had people reach out and say, "We we know you're, we know you're, you're not against us." Uh-huh. Um, they get it, but I really haven't. I think I've had one uh, transgender person reach out to me, um, and it was just a little too strange. I I do have I do have contact with a lot of trans people on social media. Um, so, so I feel like I'm, I get, I have a good understanding of some of the dynamics of the trans community. And, and one of the things that I see 
is I think that there's a really big difference between, uh, well, the autogynophilic, if you believe in that, the idea that there are, that, that, that that's a kind of transgender that may not count as gender dysphoric. It's almost like their, or their gender dysphoria is coming from an extremely different place. Hmm. And so I feel like the people who are autogynophilic do not have respect for women and do not understand the concerns of women. And they're the ones who are, you know, marching and saying trans women are women. I really feel like a lot of the other trans people kind of are horrified by what's going on. I'm in a group um, on Facebook that is for, they call them, there's these terms, too cute, true cute, and true scum, true, true scum, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm in a true scum group, and they are mortified by what's happening because yeah. they are, you know, they're adults who had gender dysphoria and transitioned and just want to live their lives, yeah. and they're mortified by the idea of medicalizing children at, you know, increasingly younger ages. Um, but I really feel like. There's, so there's sort of this one group of trans, this one type of trans that is sort of projecting what it, what it is to be trans, and, and they really don't seem to like women. They're the ones who are calling us TERFs, who are talking about trans misogyny. Um, I don't know if you've heard that term or not. Uh, and they, they, they're so hostile towards women, and they're the ones who sort of derogatorily call us cis or TERFs. Um, and that's, that's where I wonder sometimes, I mean, historically, when we've done research, um, we've, we tended to focus on male bodies and male issues. And it's been fairly recently that we've understood that male bodies and female bodies respond differently to medications and sometimes present differently uh, when they have medical issues and, and psychological issues tend to affect, uh, you know, women tend to get anorexia much more often than than males do. Mm. I don't know if there's maybe OCD. I'm not sure if there are other issues that tend to be more uh, affecting males more often. But th there are these differences. And and that's what I'm wondering is if, if gender dysphoria, we're sort of lumping it as sort of this one thing. And if perhaps gender dysphoria needs to be, first of all, maybe we need a better taxonomy of gender dysphoria. And to say there, you know, girls who have gender dysphoria need to really be evaluated because it's likely that their gender dysphoria is a result of an underlying issue. Um, people who are autistic, autistic who develop gender dysphoria really need to be evaluated because it's possible that they're misunderstanding social norms and because of their autism, they're not understanding mm -hmm. that they're not born in their own body. They just are not fitting in very well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's sort of, what it reminds me of is that sort of like we have this the the autogynophilic male transgender um uh, how do you say this the the male who identifies as female who's sort of controlling the the narrative and and one of the things that i thought of when i was thinking about uh autistic girls who are developing gender dysphoria is one of the first things they recommend is breast binding. And I don't know how much you know about autism, but one of the things that they recommend for uh, people with autism is compression. Yeah. And I was like, well, is it possible that 
they're feeling less dysphoric because not because they're binding their breasts, but because they're having compression. And rather than just accept, oh my gosh, the breast binding made me feel less dysphoric. I'm clearly a male in a woman's body. We need to be looking at, you know, what what is working, what isn't working, why? But with these, you know, like going back to the conversion well, laws, we yeah. can't even do that. We, yeah, we and going back that. to Dr. Kennedy Olson, if yeah. her goal is to normalize something, then she's not looking at any other pathways to correcting it other than just forcing society to change according exactly. to her her hypothesis. It's not even a hypothesis. It's just it's a projection. Agenda, yeah. And and yeah, she right. happens to be married to a woman who transitioned to a man who is one of the therapists at the gender clinic who who says there's no way I can talk to them about gender because they're just in the wrong body. You know? And so mm-hmm. and I, I I can't imagine as a parent how conf- well and as a child if, if a child hears from a doctor that they're born in the wrong body <laughs> then even if their dysphoria starts to resolve are they gonna think they're born in the wrong like is that just gonna be like i'm thinking as a child how much sort of authority a doctor has and if they say well you've been like you know you're born yeah. in the wrong body and and it's okay because we know how to deal with that yeah. even if that child started to feel less dysphoric they they may not ever resolve that idea that they were born in the wrong body so yeah. and i think there was a there's some research in england where they've been putting children on puberty blockers and the children who are they they sorted a study children who weren't put on puberty blockers and children who were. And the children who were put on puberty blockers, almost 100% of them ended up medically transitioning. Whereas those who weren't put on puberty blockers, I think it was like 60 to 70% had their gender dysphoria resolved. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge percent. I mean, that's more than half of the children who, who without any kind of medical intervention at all, just had that gender dysphoria resolved when they hit puberty mm-hmm. and and when i talk to women a lot of women who would be considered gender dysphoric today who were tomboys when they were younger and wanted to be boys because of the they enjoyed the activities of males more than the, the sort of stereotypical activities of females that when they go through puberty that that sort of starts to drop away and they start to feel more comfortable being a woman and so mm-hmm. The fact that saying that it's a normal path to be a transgender child is, yeah, that's a... That well, a I wonder if there's any animal studies on diagnosing if a pig gets gender <laughs> dysphoria and then putting these, putting putting sheep or pigs or some sort of animal and like transitioning them and, and just seeing if that's a normal... Like, like, would the mallard duck act like... Yeah, stop uh, raping is his right. female. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing that's most concerning about um, Dr. Kennedy, Joanna Kennedy Olson, is that she wants to institute screening programs. So we go into schools and we start talking about gender dysphoria at a really young age. Yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. if you're, what a great way to create a gender dysphoric child to go into a school and say, well, if you act like. A girl and you're a boy, it means you were actually born in the wrong body. Like that's going to create gender dysphoric children. And then to talk about, you know, the going back to the front hole and the dick, like yeah. 
to the idea that we would go into school and screen for gender dysphoric children to set them on a path towards medicalization and and she compares it to treating people with diabetes so she says that like we 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 need to screen people so that we can put them on the appropriate medical treatment but but there is no like diabetes you take a blood test and you can see the problem (laughs) you can tell if the insulin's working um gender dysphoria is totally uh, based on feelings and it it is a psychiatric condition i mean anytime you feel discomfort with your body that's a mental health issue it's so to suggest that 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 should be implemented in the schools to me it's it's incredibly scary um and, and again, reinforcing those stereotypes because, because it basically is, it's, I don't know if you've seen, there's, a, yeah, there's seen a, a spectrum that they have with like Barbie on one side and G.I. Joe on the other. And I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, didn't we just spend the last 50 years trying to get away from all of this? Yeah, I just, I don't think, well, I, I don't know. There's so many different things going on in here. There's power plays, there's ideology, there's good faith, stupidity, there's, there's actual authentic, I believe... There's a contingent, a small contingent of people for whom uh, medical transition is the best way for them to get on with their lives and become uh, a human being beyond that thing. Uh, and then there's the the feminist story about defeating the patriarchy or corrupting the gender roles, stereotypes. There's men not knowing what to do, um, you know, and then there's men who are like, well, how can I game this system? You know, like there's there's so much complexity in this issue that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, in some ways, I almost wonder, and again, this might get me in trouble, but but as women have been pushing and pushing to get access to male activities, um, male spaces, uh, we want, and now now Boy Scouts is is um, open to girls as well. So it's almost, I almost hmm. wonder if this is in some ways a backlash that a lot of the based on my research, and again, this is completely subjective, but based on my research, a lot of the men who are identifying as women would be sort of on the bottom of the hierarchy with the men. And if they decide to identify as a woman, all of a sudden they're at the top of the hierarchy. And I can see sort of this mentality of, you know, these women have been taking over our stuff well, we're going to take over theirs. Um, well, it, 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 you're right. It works both ways. Uh, yeah. A young woman can perceive men as always being powerful. And then a young man growing up in certain media environments will perceive that the man is always the bad guy or is always vilify, is always the villain. But if I'm the woman, then, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of all access to all this stuff. I get access to desire. I get access to um, a lot of different things. But again, like... There, there's so many different levels to this. I just need to reinsert that there, there are probably bad actors. I think that there are good actors, and that's why I'm trying to do a series with a multiplicity of individuals. Um, and basically, the, the one condition that I've, or the one bias that I have, is that somebody will have an open conversation with mm-hmm. me and, and explore these, uh, explore these um, ideas kind of openly rather than projectorally. Um, so, so what I, do you think is the like if if it were up to you, what would you what would your what would your solution be? Because I'm always curious, like what as far as the gender thing, like should we allow anybody who identifies as the opposite gender to to be treated as such, or like? 
because part of me is like, how do we even set, how do we, how do we establish who, who gets to be an, a treated as the gender they believe they are versus yeah. Yeah. who doesn't? And, and it kind of, I think about, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of an IEP in elementary school, kids who have disabilities, it's called an individual education plan. And the teachers meet, the principal and parents and the child meet, and they develop a plan to help a disabled child navigate through school with, with as few restrictions as possible, but, but also with the understanding that they have special needs. And we could do this with a trans, with a gender dysphoric child. However, the trans activists are saying, this is not a disability. This is not a special need. This is not a mental health issue. And so no, sort I, of- in, in my discussion with Blanchard, um, uh, Dr. Ray Blanchard, he said that the activist's job isn't to make logical sense. The activist's job is to get their way. So so to expect consistency from the activist contingent. And I've, I've reported on this in every single activist party. Their, their statements don't have any consistency one to the next other than they're gaining power. And right. so, so it'll be a disability one day and it won't be a disability depending on what sort of position gives them more strength. So, right, because that's the, true with the insurance issue too, is yeah. that if it's strictly cosmetic surgery to make you happier with your body, then it's really quite discriminatory to not allow other people to get cosmetic surgery that will make them more comfortable in their body. I always joke that I identify as a big busted woman because I am very I am not well endowed. Yeah. <laughs> and if I go to my insurance company and say this is causing me huge dysphoria, I would have a much better quality of life if I could get a breast implant and and, and you should cover it. They're not gonna cover it. Uh, but hmm. if a, a biological male who identifies as female says the same thing, that surgery may be covered. And the Equality Act would, I believe, legislate that it has to be covered. And so it, it almost is, is it's, it's like we have this, this not particularly level playing field, but at least we have this idea of everybody has the same civil rights. But what's happening now is that pe- trans people are trying to almost like bump it up so that their rights supersede others so mm-hmm. that they get cosmetic surgery uh, with, paid for and other people don't. And, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. fact, it's considered discriminatory if they don't get it paid yeah. for, which, you know, if I would suggest that probably nearly 90, probably 99% of people have something about their body that they don't like. And we can encourage people to really focus on that and, and insist that insurance should cover that. Or we can encourage people to think kind of bigger. There's sort of this sense of like, one of the things that happens with mental illnesses is people get sort of like so stuck in themselves and so Mm -hmm. like, um, I think I might've lost the feed. Oh, did I break up? (laughs) Oh, there you are. (laughs) But they get, and I've been there. I know what it's like to just get completely self-absorbed. And one of the things therapists do is to help people kind of, resolve that but now we're saying we won't let therapists resolve that in fact we're going to encourage that kind of hyper focusing on self um and i i I even i hate to say this but one of the things is even thinking about resources that that the resources that go towards somebody causing their functional body to be dysfunctional is a lifelong 
it's sort of like they're committing themselves to a lifelong of dysfunction and and needing medical resources that could go to you know clean water in flint michigan you know yeah, yeah. and 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 i i understand that there are people who will say that 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 the medical care they that it's it's like a lifesaver that they'll kill themselves if they are not able to medically transition but but that just sounds so much like a mental health thing um, people who are suicidal have a mental health health issue and and we don't we don't tend to to say you're right the reason that you're suicidal means that you should be suicidal like i can't think of any other case where a therapist says hmm. to a patient mm -hmm. you're suicidal and you have every right to be unless you do this <laughs> yeah well you asked about my solution and i don't have a solution i do have a path forward and um I see a part of what you're responding to is the amount of uh, hate that you've received from the radical activists in your area and that you said that that's the strongest interaction that you've had. And I think a lot uh, I think your position is very much informed by that, as well as your experience of gender dysphoria and where that came from. Mm -hmm. um, one of my paths forward is to kind of bypass the activists and start to make connections and platform reasonable voices so that there's more clarity on the issue. And and absolutely, when it comes to child transition and the stuff that you were talking about with uh, Dr. Kennedy Olson, like that stuff needs to be called out and mm -hmm. stood against. And the infiltration of certain ideologies into the education system, that certainly needs to be stood up against and, and very harshly or very strongly questioned and evaluated. Um, the one weakness with going too strong against this is that the trans activists will, who are self-elected representatives of the trans community, and like you say, and like I know, they do not actually represent the trans community. They've, they've taken that helm and then they've gone into ways of acting and behaving that actually cast a lot of shade on this community. And, and by connecting with the community and, and having a, a nuanced, <laughs> complex discussion, allowing for strong, uh, strong conversations to happen, especially around the vulnerable populations, but also kind of balancing or entering into negotiations between these various multiple vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and in order to balance. And, and because society is a give and take. And one person's dis, uh, relieving one person's vulnerability by opening up the vulnerability of a bunch of other people is not a solution at all. Well, and that's that's one of the interesting things that I've really been grappling with is is who decides like if if one person needs to make another person uncomfortable in order to have their in order to feel comfortable yeah who who gets priority how, how do we choose that and of course there's this whole oh my gosh intersectionality that's decided that based on well it introduces know, a calculus which then that. which then in um it incentivizes oppression it incentivizes you figuring out playing this game mm -hmm. um and again and then excusing your bad behavior not becoming a better human being and not being responsible for your own uh, 
issues and then in order so you can be responsible for other people, which is the goal of becoming an adult is not to become your true self, but to become an actually empowered and empowering member of society that's giving more than they're taking from society. Right. And when I hear that term authentic self, I'm, I'm like, you know, I don't know how many people go out into the world and are their authentic self, hmm. but I suspect most of us like rein it in a little bit mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> around most people, um, even around ourselves, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, but the idea that it's somehow oppressing someone to not allow them to be their authentic self. And, and again, that reminds me of, of when my, my son was younger, uh, we grew up, it's a conservative community and he was growing his hair out long and looking pretty crazy. And, when he'd go to the bus station, the cops would bug him. And I'd say, you know, you have a choice here. <laughs> you can keep looking like this and you're gonna keep getting harassed. You can fight the system and try and educate the cops or you can change the way you look. And he did a little bit of both. I, I feel like he kind of did a nice job of, of, you know, initially he was like, I hate the cops and then, you know, as he got to know some of the police officers and, and, hmm. and understand some of some of what they're responding to. And, and I think that that's part of what you're saying is that idea that that we need to meet each other as human beings, that 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 we all have feelings, we all have hurts, we all have vulnerabilities and we need to meet with an understanding that nobody's vulnerability gives them the right to to hurt somebody else's uh, or put them at risk or put them at risk and and again that the the thing that makes me the saddest about what's going on is is that i i feel like there's going to be a backlash against transgender people who just want to live their lives and and it's going to be by by the predators who are going to say oh this is awesome um one of the things that that just recently came up in one of my feeds is that a lot of uh, trans, a lot of a lot of men are transition. When well, I shouldn't say a lot, there are a few men who are transitioning because doing so covers up their uh, past legal record, mm-hmm. and so they transition. They get a new name, they get a new gender, and their uh, legal records are sealed. So if they've had uh, felonies, those are sealed, and so they're able to kind of. And they don't even have to give up their balls to do this. Right. <laughs> so there's no quid pro quo. <laughs> yeah, and, and they don't. They don't. There was one of the, the leading trans activists in the community here uh, came out, I think, in last August, so less than a year ago, saying he was agender and then was able to legally change his sex without physically changing anything. Um, and so, I mean, what does define being male and female? Like and and is it just a matter of of you get to say what you are and and that any any woman who's who's concerned about that is being hypersensitive or or is it reasonable to say that that there needs to be some kind of criteria for determining whether or not someone is indeed a transgender person who is legitimately having psychiatric difficulty if they're not allowed to present as the opposite sex yeah. and who decides i mean <laughs> yeah. because you've got doctors who are willing to tell 
four-year-old kids that they can be born in the wrong body. So, yeah. so and you have legislators saying that you can't that? not do that. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that really, as I've gotten more and more into this, I've all of a sudden started to understand climate deniers and anti-vaxxers. And I, I never thought I would have any sense of why people denied climate change or why there were anti-vaxxers. And suddenly I'm like, well, if, if we've got people who are saying that it's possible to be born in the wrong body and that your chromosomes don't define your, your sex and that have girls can have penises and boys can have vaginas, and then I can maybe, like, who, who do you trust? Like, what information do you trust when you've got the government legislating therapists having to lie to clients and affirm delusions like what information do we believe if and and maybe maybe just as in this issue the information on other issues is equally being skewed and how do we know and that makes for a very crazy society Hmm. when we can't trust anything yeah yeah so um i I'm, unfortunately, I have to go forth and prepare for the Peterson Zizek yeah. debate. <laughs> um, do you are you considering setting up resources, or what's your position now? Are you just a, a member of different groups or stuff, or have you found things that like centers that you go to, like websites or whatever? I've been. Um, I'm part of a group called Hands Across the Aisle, and I really like this group. It is. Um, women who are from both sides of the political spectrum. So there are people who are from the Women's Liberation Front as well as people from the Heritage Foundation. So these are these are groups, these are women who typically disagree on almost everything are coming together on this issue because we're so concerned about hmm. how it's impacting women and children. And I love this group because they are recognizing that people have different ideas about things and that the goal is to come up with what's best for society with what's best for women and children and i never thought i'd i would be affiliated with someone who um, one of the groups i'm working with here in in utah is the utah eagle forum and as a kid i grew up with my mother swearing at the leader her name is gail rizuka and anytime she'd come on TV (laughs) and I met her and she's a delightful person and we do have some different ideas about some (laughs) issues but I'm learning that people who I thought were awful and terrible on the right are actually wonderfully kind and um they're they're good people they're they're not they're not backwards or evil (laughs) which is kind of what I grew up thinking and so I'm going to keep working with those organizations and I'm hoping um, there's a group called the Kelsey Coalition that has been working with parents of children who have developed rapid onset gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. and they asked me if I would be a group leader for um, for for people like me who had gender dysphoria as a child and are concerned about how gender dysphoria is being portrayed as being transgendered and so I'm hoping to move forward with, the, with that so I can connect with other people who had childhood gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for me, that's been really quite amazing for me to to recognize that all this time I thought I was the only person who had this 
this experience and all of a sudden I'm finding out that there are other people who had this experience too so hmm. I still feel like I'm kind of different and, and kind of weird and don't quite fit in but but all of a sudden I'm finding out that there are other people who had similar experiences hmm. and that's really kind of cool so well being weird might just be your superpower yeah. Something by which I mean something you use to either destroy or save the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to, to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Erin. Thanks for your time. Yeah, and, and good luck with all the things. I The Evergreen thing is so interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with Hampshire College, but it's falling apart too. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> In a so, similar fashion? It's a similar, they're, well, what it is is they don't have funding. So they've been very politically correct and and divested from any kind of investment that was um, maybe not politically correct and, and given lots of money to people who needed it. Now they don't have any money and it looks like the school might close. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Huh. <laughs> it may be that we've, I, I read that we, we might have hit peak wank. Um, I don't know if you if you read this article. <laughs> it's like the idea that we might have finally, you know, politically correctness is finally like hit peak, and we're gonna kind of maybe move forward, which would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's this big election coming up. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Uh, so I think that who knows what that's gonna do. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know, but um, I but I appreciate I really appreciate what you're doing on YouTube, and I appreciate the voice that you're putting out there, um, well, and yeah, I, I really appreciate that you're rooting it in personal experience and and allowing yourself to to really open up and stuff. And, and I know the one another weird thing about this particular issue is that it it's very personal. It's a very personal issue and and now that it's politicized there's there's a tension between you know looking at these very tender the tenderest spots of a human being yeah. are well, now yeah. being paraded around yeah and that's one of the things that's so funny is that like there's there's recently been this grant given towards lgbtq um bringing more lgbtq people into um stem fields and i'm like these are such personal issues like like race and um, sex, usually you can look at someone and say, and, and these are categories, but these are these these new categories are things that somebody actually has to tell you about. And and mm. why maybe we don't want to be like the only reason I'm talking about these things and sharing them is because I'm concerned about children and women and, and what's happening and wanting to to share my story and show that just because you have gender dysphoria doesn't mean you're transgender. Otherwise, like you said, these are incredibly private, personal issues that that maybe we we as a society should allow people to to kind of have some boundaries around. Mm -hmm. Well, we're a society without boundaries. <laughs> yeah. This is our so brave new world. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck. All right, Aaron. I'll keep in okay. touch, and All I'll right. let you know Thanks what so happens much. with this. All right. All right. Bye bye. Bye.